All right. God is good. He's doing cool stuff today. He's alive. He's well. Um, so I want to talk to you. We've been talking about Acts and how it's to be continued, this ongoing lifestyle of being spirit-filled, spirit-led church and people. And I want to start this morning by simply reminding you that something that you probably know already, but that you are a missionary. And if you didn't know that you're a missionary, then today gets to be your commissioning service. Congratulations. We'll pin you a missionary pin. You didn't know that the insiders have a missionary pin. We'll pin you with one, and we'll send you out. I'm kidding. There's no missionary pin. Oh, goodness. Um, so if you didn't know that you're a missionary, I want you to know that that is the call. That is the highest call on your life for wherever you find yourself. And as we're studying the book of Acts as a lifestyle and we're calling it to be continued, the early church quickly realized that after the Holy Spirit fell, that something major, major had shifted in and around their life. And they went from being embedded within culture and being somewhat safe, a living a safe lifestyle, to living a sent lifestyle. And they didn't have to go anywhere. And that's the thing I want you to understand. To be a missionary, you don't have to go anywhere. And I love those of you that are called. We want this to be a sending church. We want to send out individuals, young people, older people, families, couples. We want to be a sending church. But I want every day that we walk out of these doors for us to realize that we are just as sent as the person who is getting on an airplane and flying to another country. That we are living sent as the early church realized that that's what they were doing. I believe that's our assignment. I believe that we are to walk a supernatural lifestyle that is not a luxury, but is a necessity. As I've been teaching that the Holy Spirit is available to all of us, I don't want you to hear me say that it is optional. But the Holy Spirit is optional. This is going to sound really bad, so cut this part out and don't put it on Facebook. But the Holy Spirit is optional in my life when I am not living in the assignment that he has for me because I go to the things that I can do on my own. And I begin to say, yes, I know that the Holy Spirit is, is, is available. I know that a supernatural lifestyle is available. But I am not living sent. I'm living comfortable. And when I, But when I step into living sent, suddenly all the places where I feel like I have it together and have my, my things I got it figured out. I don't feel that anymore because now I'm stepping into God's plan, God's dream, God's promises, which are far bigger than me and his assignment. And suddenly you go, oh my goodness, that empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in my life is not just a neat accessory like a man bag. It is actually something that I need. That was a terrible example because you need a man bag. Who can live without one? A scarf. You can live without a scarf, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Um, so look at the early followers of Jesus in the book of Acts. They went from being embedded within the religion of the day where they were safe and a part of that. In the, in the temple, they were safely tucked into that religious system of the day. And then from there, they went quickly to being outcasts by that very system that they were just days and weeks before safe within. And same thing with the early followers of Jesus. They went from being people of influence within the Sanhedrin, which is the governmental structure of the day for that local area, to being persecuted by those very people where they before had influence. And the church had found, they found quickly, that any governmental or civic influence that they had, those very people turned on them as well and began to scatter them and persecute them. 
So I think right now, and I, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but I'm paying attention to what's happening within culture. And when I say what's happening within culture, you automatically think probably about the elections and things. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a vision of what's happening around us from a little bit higher perspective um, that we all have, not that I have, that we all have this access to this higher perspective to say, God, show me this from your viewpoint. And as I'm, as I'm praying for you guys as a church, as I'm praying for our city, I sense a shift without being too dramatic. I truly sense a shift where we have to wake up like the early church did and realize that incrementally, the more that we surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit, that incrementally we are being moved more and more and more into a mobilized place as opposed to a place where we are secure and rooted into our comforts or our safety. And the fire that's being lit under the church right now, I think it's not for light only. I think it's about putting us into a place of forward motion. And I think what he wants to do truly is, is move us as a people uh, from being comfortable to being available. And, the, and you've heard me, you, you guys have heard me say it over and over and over again, the greatest gift that I can give to Jesus Christ is I'm available because we all have varying degrees of natural skills, and I don't think that he really worries too much about those. He's looking for a heart and a life that is willing to be radical and available to him and to be poured into him. And I don't want us, any of us, to find ourselves in a place where we have stepped into such a, an easy lifestyle of following Jesus that we think we can do it without him. If you look at Exodus chapter 33, in fact, I think I'll put it up on the screen so you guys don't have to flip there so you can stay in the book of Acts, but there is this conversation going on between God and Moses, and, and, and Moses realizes that God may not go forward with them into the promised land. And he says to him, and he, this is devastating to Moses. He can't imagine moving forward without God's presence. And he says, what else, God, but your presence will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. What is it that was going to set Moses and the Israelites apart? It was the presence of the living God. It was nothing else. Everything else they had in common in one way or another, but it was the living God with them that set them apart. And for him to even imagine going forward without God was, was impossible for, for Moses to fathom. And sometimes, if I'm totally honest in my own life, I think sometimes God would be like, hey, Ryan, I'm not going to move forward with you today. And I'd be like, it's cool, it's probably better that way. I mean, I've got it handled, I'm good. I don't want that. It's, it's not fun to get to the end of the day and, and lay my head down on my fluffy pillow and see that God is saying, you know, you made it through the whole day without needing me that the outpouring that I've made available to you of my Holy Spirit, that I want to pour into you constantly over and over and over and over again, that you didn't need it? Looks like you did some good things. Looks like you accomplished some things. You did this and you did that. But I want to live like Moses where I go, God, I'm not even stepping out of my room unless I know that you're with me. I'm not stepping out of my house unless I know that you're with me. I'm not stepping into this next thing that you have for me unless I know that I know that I know that you're with me. What is it that sets me apart from anyone else if it's not you? And we have to have that hunger for his presence and that desire to say whatever it takes. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is talking about this very thing. What the early church is learning in the book of Acts and their dependence on the Holy Spirit, Jesus was already showing them this in, in Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, I'm going to read 5 through 13, and part of it will probably be up there on the screen, but let me start in, in verse 5. And Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. 
A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. How many of your parents, you can be like, amen. If you wake up my child, I've been working for three hours to get my child to go to sleep, and now you're knocking on my door, and you want me to wake up? Heck no. Right? He's coming and knocking, going, can I get some bread from you? No. No, you may not. Because if my child wakes up, I'm going to go insane. I can't get up. The story goes on. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity to keep knocking in a way that might wake up the child, I added that part. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So Jesus says this to us. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. That's the context for this verse that I used a couple weeks ago. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Knock, knock, knock. Wait, wait, wait. Don't move on. Don't go forward. There, and, and I want to tell you this. There's a difference between waiting and standing on the promise of God expectantly and feeling like you have to earn his presence. We don't have to earn his presence. We aren't knocking to earn anything. We are simply saying, this is my belief in faith on your promise that you have told me that your presence will go with me. Your presence will set me apart. I'm not moving forward unless I get what you have for me. I am waiting, anticipating for a purpose. Not to earn this, but believing that what Jesus said is that it is shameless audacity of us to believe that God, the God of the universe who is infinitely apart from us, unknowable, uh, unimaginable, that he in his brilliance and beauty and power is willing to give and to pour out into us. That is shameless audacity that we would even ask this God to give us anything at all. But Jesus tells us, keep knocking. Keep knocking, keep knocking. And, and, and this verse, clearly, contextually, this isn't about salvation. He is saying, this is about the Holy Spirit. Knock. Wait. Wait. Don't go forward without the promise that God has to fill you, to empower you, to lead you. The early church, they didn't go forward. They related to that need, that absolute need to say, I can't take a step unless Jesus is the center of my life, unless his presence is with me and in me and upon me. And that is what I am fueled by, and that is what I am moving forward by. They understood this desperate reliance on that. And it started when Jesus left, and he said, hey, I'm going to leave, but I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about this. They waited in the upper room, and they waited, and they waited, and then in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit fell. Drew was talking about this within our process of, in, at, the, at the conference. He was talking about the process of he being healed from sexual brokenness and walking through that, is that we get in this culture where everything is so rapid. Everything is so fast. And you guys know it, and I could make jokes about it all day long. I was telling the first service how I was so happy in college when I was dating Kate to be able to go into the library where there was four total computers. Four. 
on the campus. And I would go in there, and I would get on the dial-up, and I would go, and then, and then it would download an email from Kate, like, whoa, that's awesome. My whole day is made. I wouldn't check the computer again for an entire day. Now I can't go like a minute without checking in on something because we're in that sped-up culture. That's so fast. But Jesus said, wait. Jesus said, knock and knock and be persistent and, and carry some shameless audacity to wait. And so they waited and they waited. And don't you think there was probably some temptation like, what are we waiting for? I don't even know what's going on here. It's been a day. It's been two days. It's been three days. I couldn't make it 30 minutes. I mean, you know, I can't even write down an 11 because I have such a short attention span. I got to one. But God is challenging us to wait, to live in an ancient rhythm instead of this sped-up culture that we're in right now, that we would create a uh, sacred space within our lives to say, here is your upper room, Jesus. Here is me locking the door and waiting for you, even if I don't have a physical room that I can be in all day, but that I would have this place where I believe that my life is an upper room and I am making space for you and I'm waiting for you and I'm knocking and I'm asking, saying, pour out on me. And that's what the early church experienced. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the Holy Spirit became the central figure of the book of Acts. We think the book of Acts is about the early church. We think the book of Acts is about Peter. We think the book of Acts is about Paul or Philip or Stephen or on down the list. But the reality is, is that this is just the gospel of the Holy Spirit. We have four gospels that are telling us about Jesus, and then we have this book that is all about the Holy Spirit. It's like, what about Bob? This is the church, you say. <laughs> I know, right? Well, how is it, what about Bob? But the church was suddenly empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, what about Bob? When I was joking with somebody online the other day about learning how to sail, and, and if you remember, what about Bob? He, he got on the boat, and then he tied himself to the mast, and he was like, I'm sailing, and then he comes back and goes, I learned how to sail. I was sailing, and he goes, well, really, the boat does most of the work, but I'm a sailor, and this is, to me, this is exactly what happened as they waited and this book is all about the Holy Spirit showing up. And then you see Peter as the, in the front of it. And he's going, wow, I'm healing people. I'm doing the things. This is amazing. The church is growing. Well, really, the Holy Spirit's actually doing most of the work. But I'm doing it too. And that's the beauty of this lifestyle that they got to experience is a book that this is a story about what it looks like to have the Holy Spirit behind you and moving through you. And they got to experience that. And they understood that it was not a luxury. It was a necessity. We have to be aware of this shift that's taking place within culture. Every single one of us, you and me, we have to be aware of this shift and go, I'm not just a citizen anymore. I'm actually a missionary now because there's something that's clicked over and it's time for us to be sent. But not sent in a way where we're just running out there on our own, but that we're going, God, fill me, send me. Fill me, send me, and fill me as I go. Let's look at this progression. I want you to watch this as what it happens over this a span of a few verses, and we are in a church, and we do believe in the Word of God, and so I'm going to read a bunch of it to you, if that's okay. Um, starting in Acts chapter 2, I want you to look for this. Places within this set of Scripture where you see that the Holy Spirit is moving forward in people, and looking for places in here where you see this incremental shift that goes, when my life is surrendered to the Holy Spirit, it's only a matter of time before things start to get more and more shaken, more and more radical, and I am more and more sent. Acts chapter 2, you guys follow along because I can read it fairly quickly. 
Acts chapter 2, 46 through 47. If I can pause for just a second, I, f- I forget to say this, but if you ever need a Bible, if you ever want a, more, a Bible, if you need a Bible to follow along with, if you don't want to take home to give to somebody, uh, there's a stack of them always in the back. You can grab them, you can keep them, you can give them away. Okay, Acts 22, Acts 2, 46 through 47. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This is the early believers after the Spirit fell. They broke bread in their homes and together and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they experienced the favor of everybody around them. That's the first thing that I want us to notice. Watch how this begins to shift. Um, in in uh, Acts chapter 3, Kim did an amazing job last week teaching on Acts chapter 3 and the lame man who was healed. And if you haven't heard that message, you can get it online, livingwatersmetford.org slash, slash messages. I want you to hear it because she did fabulous with that message. But that, that healing and the things that happened around it created a hinge point in this story. And if you pick it up in Acts chapter 4, this is where they, after, they, after that healing happens, they're brought before the Sanhedrin. What are we going to do with these men? They asked, everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer of, uh, to anyone in his name. So the first thing they asked them to do was to stop speaking in his name. And, and after Peter was released, he went to the people as they were gathered and waiting to find out what was happened to Peter. He came to them, and this was their prayer. Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Can I just, as an aside, go, how cool is it that when they get pressed by culture around them, when they get pressed and they're brought before answering before authorities and they say, you need to stop, you got to stop doing this, do that, that instead of being filled with fear, instead of being filled with bitterness, instead of being filled with anger, instead of being filled with, we're going to fight you because you're wrong, what did they ask to be filled with? Fill us with your spirit. When culture's going crazy around us, how quick are we to get upset? How quick are we to go on our little rants? How quick are we to believe that we have the solutions? And if we just did this and this, we'd fix it, and everybody's wrong but me, and we get anxiety starts to creep up in us, and, and, and everything is escalated. What if we stopped and said, you know what, instead of being filled with all that crap, I'm going to empty myself of this, and I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, fill me, that I would walk in boldness, proclaiming your word, that we would see signs and wonders and miracles. Because what's going to change culture, you being really angry or you being really filled? Acts 5, 12 through 14, the work expands of the early church. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them. There was fear, even though they were highly regarded. So they went from having the favor of all the people to being asked to stop to now there is a fear that's surrounding them. But they're still highly regarded. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And then we go to Acts five seventeen. And this is the prison. Um, Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. So as the church grew and the signs and wonders were happening and the leaders were having this, this favor, the high priest and all his associates, they were filled with jealousy. Then the high priest... Uh, and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Why is that twice? Okay, never mind. They, uh, they arrested, verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. 
But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. How awesome is that? Some of you are like, I don't know how to be a missionary. I don't know how to be an evangelist. Okay, let me tell you how it works. Go into the temples and the courts of your life and tell people about the new life that you're experiencing in Jesus Christ. Training done. Acts 5.27, moving on. Because they did this, they were put in jail, and then an angel released them. This, this kind of upset people. And uh, the, apostles, the apostles were brought back in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin again to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man, Jesus, of Jesus' blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious, and they wanted to put them to death. You like that title he put up there? He was upset that I didn't have a title, so he, made, he, he gave us that one. All right, and then Acts chapter 5, verse 40, as the story goes on, now they've gone, they were jealous, now they're furious. And so what are they going to do? We can't throw them in prison. We're going to have them beaten. And so uh, there was a speech that was given to say, let's not kill them. Let's just let's beat them. And so they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the, for the name. Day after day, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped preaching and proclaiming, teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And then we move the story forward to Acts chapter 6, and you have Stephen. He was one of the guys in Acts chapter 6 that, that was picked out when the, when the disciples were overwhelmed, the, the apostles were overwhelmed with the work. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. And they began to argue with Stephen, but they, I love this, verse 10, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. So for Stephen, you understand that being filled with the Spirit was not optional. If he'd have been out there arguing in his own strength, there would have been no deal. But the fact that they were going, we cannot argue with the wisdom that this man has. Why? Because he was sourced, his wisdom was sourced in the Spirit of the living God. So they seized him and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. You guys doing okay? A few more verses. Acts 7. 51 through 60. Let's read this. Stephen, at the end of his trial, got up, he may have gotten a little worked up. He goes, he goes, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are all still uncircumcised. They're like, what? That's my ears? You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. 
And in verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said. I see heaven open and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would later become Paul. In verse 59, while you were stoning him, Stephen while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed this: Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. How crazy is that? While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He took that desire and that teaching that Jesus said to forgive others. He took it to the point where he's like, I don't even want to die with this on my heart. Forgive him. When he said this, he fell asleep. Acts 8, 1 through 4. And this is the, the progression of the scattering of the church, if you will. And, and Saul approved of this killing, of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered, listen to this, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Yeah, and then Acts 11, we'll finish with this. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went to Antioch and they began to speak to Greeks about it also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the, Lord, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This is what it looked like for the early church to be filled with the Spirit and to move from being safe within a culture to slowly, by degrees, being sent. From safe to sent, and this is what I think that is happening with us, is that as we make our lives completely available to the early church, I mean to, to the Holy Spirit, that we are able to be empowered by him and that we are moving forward in a reliance upon the Holy Spirit to proclaim the truth of Jesus wherever, wherever, wherever we find ourselves. The Holy Spirit is available for us today. We've made that abundantly clear these weeks as we've been studying the book of Acts, but it was available to us just as it was available, as he is available to the the early church. And as I said earlier, available doesn't mean optional. This is our fuel. This is the engine. This is everything that moves us forward, is the presence of the living God in our life. And this is God's design for how we would live, how we would walk, how we would move into this commission and this missionary calling that rests on each one of our lives as followers of Jesus. Because if we walk out there with just principles and we walk out there with just dead religion, we aren't gonna be heard by culture. We have to have a purity that starts with us to be able to say that Jesus in my life has set me free from sin and set me free from shame, and I have purity that I 
I walk in, that we have to have an encounter and carry an encounter of God's presence in our life. And if we don't have that, culture is not going to listen to us because what do we have to give them? Here's a bunch of rules. It's changed my life. No, it hasn't. It's the presence of Jesus. It's the reality of the Spirit coming into us and setting us free and setting us right, that we have to carry his power if we want culture to have any ability to hear what we're saying, that we would see signs and wonders and miracles, encountering God tangibly and helping others tangibly encounter him, that we would be a community of people within a community, that we would have and know our purpose, and that we would know that we're on a mission, that we are not called to settle within culture. We are not settlers. You are not a settler. Don't settle in your workplace. Don't settle into sin. Don't settle into ambivalence. Don't settle into hopelessness. Don't settle into any of the stuff that the enemy wants you to see. You're not a settler. You're a missionary. You are sent. You are a sent one. And when we begin to settle for a mediocre life, when we begin to settle for less than all that God has for us, when we begin to settle for making our own way and doing it in our own strength, we are undercutting the very ability that we have to be reliant only upon the spirit of the living God. You are missionaries. Today is your commissioning. Have fun out there. As you move full of the Holy Spirit, there's going to be these places where God just takes the things the enemy has against you, the attacks that are coming against you, and he's not going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. He's saying, watch what I'm going to do because each time this happens, I'm going to bring you to another layer of greater influence. And when that shuts down, I'm going to bring you to another place of greater influence. And the thing that they're trying to to squelch out in your life, the harder that people try to press it down, the more that it scatters, the more that it scatters, and the more that it scatters until we're sitting here today around the world knowing that the gospel of Jesus Christ has gone out and is moving powerfully. The largest people group on the planet are followers of Jesus, two billion strong, because this church was willing to say this Holy Spirit is not optional. It is vital to the mission and to the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. So I want to finish with this, and I'm going to take um, just, a couple, just a couple more minutes of your time, and I want to share with you some things that God was showing me as I was praying for you. I saw this picture of God taking you up with him and sitting, as I was praying for this service, of seeing him sitting, him sitting you beside him. And as you sat beside him, that he began to say, now I want you to look back down at your life. And some of you, it was your marriage. Some of you, it was your workplace. Some of it, it was your kids. But he was saying, I want you to sit with me, and I want you to look through the lens of heaven until you get my perspective for your workplace. Let's use the workplace as an example. I want you to look until you have my heart and until you see this the way that I see it. And then I want you to be able, and then I'm going to release you to move and to go forward, to go back in and to engage that place that we would sit with him and we would not be in such a hurry to move forward. We would say, okay, God, I want to sit here with you until I have your heart for my coworkers. And then in that place, you're going to release an anointing through my life because now I carry compassion that you carry so that I can move into that place. And he's going to say, yep, now you can be a missionary because you have my heart and you see as I see. He's bringing you up for your family. When you see as I see your family, I'm going to release an anointing on your life to go into that place and bring revitalization and bring the gospel and bring the kingdom to that place. This is what he wants to do. We would say yes to him, saying I want to sit beside you and I want you to walk with me and hear me or speak to me and show me the way that you see this. And in that place, in that moment, that you'll release me back into that place. Because sometimes our perspective is very much here on this level. 
And that's where we get upset. That's where we get frustrated. That's where we get hopeless. But he's saying, sit by me. Don't be in such a hurry. Get my heart. Get my vision. And then I'm going to release you back into that place. Here's four areas that God was telling me. A specific word. And this may be for you. It may not be for you. You don't take this word just because I'm the guy with the microphone. You take this word because you say, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to receive this. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to work through this. But if these words are for you, I do want you to grab onto them. He said that there's four, four groups of people that he is releasing a new missionary assignment on their life. And the first one is this, is that you would see you're in a place of unexpected promotions. And that these promotions are designed by God to increase your influence and to magnify his love to more people. That some of you are going to come into a season where you get an unexpected promotion and you're going to think instead of going, oh, cool, more money, more this, more security, you're going to remember this prophetic word and you're going to say, no, wait, this promotion is actually for the purpose of expanded influence for the kingdom. So some of you are in a place where you're going to find that in the next week or month that you get a promotion. Remember this. It's not for you. It's for his kingdom. It's not for you, it's for his gospel. He's bringing you to a place to say, I see your heart, I'm gonna put you in a place of honor and influence and that's why I'm promoting you. Some of you are in a place of trials right now. And, and I see God saying, this is what this is, what's happening right now is that this is a breakdown and you're, and I'm with you and I want you to grab onto something and I want you to let, sorry, I want you to let go of some things before you can step into the next season that I have for you. You feel like you're stuck at a dead end, but really, and I, this is the picture that he gave me, is that you're walking down in a canyon and it's getting more and more and more and more narrower, more and more narrow. And as you get more and more narrow, that there's some things that you're carrying and th- things that you're holding on to that he's simply saying, will you let go of that? Will you let go of that? Will you lay that down? Will you lay that down? And I see you turning sideways and you have to squeeze through this little crack in the canyon and you come out the other side and he says, look at the wide places that I've prepared for you. Wait, right now you're in that canyon and it's closing down and it's getting darker and you're starting to feel desperate and hopeless and he's saying, I'm with you. This is for a purpose. There's some things I want you to let go of because I have better things for you right on the other side, but you're never going to get through if you're holding on to that stuff. And so um, as you're going through a trial right now, I want you to hear God's heart. Stop rebuking the enemy. Stop cursing the enemy. Stop making it about him and start saying, okay, God, what is it that you want to do in my life right here and right now? I already have victory over the enemy. I don't have to declare it all the time, but I want to know what you want to do, and I want to know what you're asking me to let go of in this trial. The other thing I see that God was talking to me about is that there's some of you who are going to be stepping into unexpected partnerships. And they're going to be partnerships with people who aren't necessary, necessarily believers. And you're going to go, I'm not sure what's, uh, and I'm not talking about like full-on 50-50 business partnerships. I'm just saying that he's going to bring you into relational influence with people that are going to surprise you. And maybe these people don't even love or know Jesus, but they're actually helping you evangelize and work in your missionary journey because they're opening up an entire network of relationships and doors to you because of your partnership, because God has brought your life together. And so don't be so quick to dismiss every person that comes into your life. Begin to open your eyes and say, God, is this a strategic kingdom partnership that you're asking me to step into, that this is going to actually open up doors of influence that I wouldn't even have access to or know about unless I was ready by the Spirit to be looking with spiritual eyes for these kinds of partnerships that are ahead of me. So if you find that in unexpected partnerships, I want you to think again and go, God, this is what you're saying. Increased opportunity to minister and influence others, businesses, cities, and regions through surprising partnerships. And the last one is this, that you feel stuck. And all this means is that there's an opportunity around you that God wants you to see and grab onto. And what he's saying to you is, I don't want you to leave this season until you've grabbed onto what I have for you. 
there's actually something that in the first scenario of trials, there was something that he wanted you to release. In this one, you're feeling stuck going, God, when can I move forward? When can I move forward? When can I move forward? It's like there's, an, there's nothing blocking you, but every time you go to step into the next season, you feel like that, that thing where he says, nope, not yet. But I want to go, not yet. And you're being frustrated, and, and, and he's saying to you, there's just something in this season that I have for you that I want you to grab onto before I let you leave. When the Israelites were called out of Egypt, they left carrying gold. And it wasn't a fun season of their life. But I believe that some of you are feeling like God is holding you back. And he's not holding you back because he's directly confronting you. He's holding you back because he wants you to slow down for a second and ask him, what is it that you, wanna, what is it that you want me to carry out of this season? And let him reveal that to you and let him show that to you. Each of these seasons that you might be in, if this speaks to you, I believe with all of my heart that each of these seasons, has God has an assignment on each of these seasons to do something in you and through you. But for all of us, every single one of us, I want us to just hear this. You are a missionary. You can't argue against it. It is your why. If you're in a workplace, if you're in a family, if you're in a, and you've lost touch with your why, I want you to go back to this. I am sent and assigned by the kingdom of God, by the king himself, filled with his power, filled with his love, filled with his authority to walk on a mission as an ambassador this is what your why is and when you lose that you get discouraged don't lose it hold on to it and this is what i want you to take with you the last thing is just hold hold on to this phrase but it's impossible for me to overstate the willingness of god to empower you to demonstrate his love share his gospel of reconciliation and to walk a supernatural spirit-filled life there is absolutely no way that I could overstate God's willingness to get behind you. Heaven is with you. Heaven is behind you. I can't overstate that. When you step out and say, I'm a missionary, he's like, yes, you are. Here's my empowerment. I'm with you. Go in all that God has. Go in all that God is and give it away as freely as you've received it. That's our commission. Amen? Amen. Awesome. All right. I, uh, hey, 1212. That probably means something to spiritual people. Uh, <clears throat> Can I pray for you? That's a silly question. I have the mic. Of course I can pray for you. Man, you are so alive in this day. God, you are so awake to what's going on. Your timing is perfect. Your authority is unquestioned. Your power is unparalleled. God, we just rely on you. We, we, we say we will wait. We will knock. We will ask. We will be like Moses and go, God, I'm not even walking out the front door of my house unless I know that your presence is with me because that is the only thing. That is the only thing that I value that sets me apart. Fill us, God, that we would be being filled constantly, knowing that we have a king and we have an assignment and we have a backing. You're a good father. And you're at work in us, God. We ask that you would break out. As that early church prayed, we ask that you would break out in signs and wonders and miracles. And that we would be filled with your presence and we would speak your truth boldly wherever we go. Would you scatter us over, all over this city and we would know that wherever we are that there's people out there who are just proclaiming your truth and your gospel and living it out in power. In Jesus' name, amen.